Have you guys heard that word much? You don't hear it enough, and I, I think it's an underutilized, underappreciated word. Um, if I were an athlete, and I'm not, if I were anything athletic, I would want to be unstoppable. I would be an unstoppable force to be reckoned with. That, uh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Apparently, they think the song is better than the sermon, so <laughs> I'm in trouble. Um, but I would want to be an unstoppable force to be reckoned with. Um, just try saying it. Unstoppable. One more. Uh, just, I want you guys to feel what I'm feeling right now. Unstoppable. One more time, unstoppable. unstoppable. I hate when pastors make people repeat things. <laughs> I really do. But this is one of those words that I think just jump out of my soul. It is just that, that powerful of a word. And I know you're going, wow, this is going to be a long sermon. But it's unstoppable. <laughs> this word has Power. This word means so much more, especially when we read about Acts 5. What do you guys think of when you hear that word? I admit that the first person I think of is this next scene, which is the man of steel himself, Superman. And if it's not that, I think about the unsinkable, unstoppable Titanic, which ended up killing 1,500 people on its maiden journey. And some of us automatically think of real-life celebrities when we think of unstoppable people. My mind quickly goes to, yes, John and Kate Gosselin. How many people know who this is? Okay, that's pretty good. These guys are really unstoppable. I mean, they need to be stopped. They really need to stop having kids. They need to stop making really idiotic TV shows. They need to just stop talking, period. But they are unstoppable. They're everywhere. What happened to the Octomom? I mean, she was a lot more interesting. But, but these guys are unstoppable. Fortunately, we've got better examples of unstoppable people, like the Reverend Martin Luther King, who was unstoppable in his efforts for civil rights. Or how about Mother Teresa? She seemed unstoppable in the way she cared for the poor and the helpless. I still remember how this little frail woman, and many of you guys are probably too young and I'm feeling older and older every day, but I remember how this frail young woman, I mean older woman, would silence the empty words of kings of presidents, of dignitaries, as she humbly spoke up for the voiceless. She was unstoppable. Now, some of us, like Tim Cooper, think about sports heroes. Babe Ruth is a great example of someone who seemed unstoppable in his game. He was all over, and he was unstoppable. But truthfully, I can only think of one athlete who is literally unstoppable. He might be small, he might be young, but he is unstoppable to an extent. And that's my son, <laughs> Joseph. If any of you have ever seen him play anything or do anything or just live life, you will know he's an unstoppable child. And I'm not saying it because he's my child. I'm not saying it because uh, that I'm uh, just, just so proud of him. 
I say that because he really is an unstoppable child. He doesn't care who's, who he's playing with. He doesn't care how big they are. He doesn't care how strong they are. His focus is the ball and in getting it into the hoop. Now look closely at this game. There's three people, and by the way, three people on Cornerstone Leadership who is playing this little child on a, a game of three on one. So much for picking on someone your own size. <clears throat> But it doesn't matter to Joseph. He'll take you on. He'll take any of them on and give them a good run for their money. <laughs> Spoon, how tall are you? <laughs> Six, seven. How old are you? <laughs> right. John, uh, Joseph, he's unstoppable. Until I put him in a timeout and then I can get him to stop. The truth is, is that all these people that I've just mentioned, they are stoppable people. Today's passage is from Acts 5. It talks about the power of the church to be unstoppable. It's one of my all-time favorite passages as I think about how it applies to our life today, as I think about what it means for the church as a whole, not just for Cornerstone, but for the church as a whole. And I am excited to give this sermon. Some of you have already heard it, but um, I just really felt like the Lord was leading me to, to revisit this very topic. We have talked a lot recently about the supremacy of Christ in Colossians. We have talked a lot about what it means to be a church on a mission. We have talked a lot about the doing of the church. But today, I want you to sit back. I want you to sit back and rejoice. Because I want you to look at the beauty and strength of the church let me set the stage. It's Acts chapter 5, 12 through 42. This is the stage. This is what's going on. It's basically the church is at its infancy. The church is just beginning. Jesus has just died and was raised up to heaven. And all these people are left, left scratching their head going, what are we going to do? And the church started to meet and they start to pray, and they start to meditate. And this is the church on a mission. And they're learning what it means to start crawling and to start standing up on their own and to start running and to start battling. This is the church learning how to live in community. It's learning how to give generously and to take care of the poor. And it's learning how to respond to sin. And today, it learns how to respond to persecution. And let's read. Verse 12 starts off saying, The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by people. Look at that, verse 13. It says, No one else dared, them, even though, dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by people. If you knew what happened in Acts chapter 4, this would make sense. You would know that in Acts chapter 4, there was a man and a woman, Ananias and Sapphira, who were struck down and killed because they were trying to deceive the church and they were living in hypocrisy. They were trying to play the good Christians. 
and God called them out, and they were, they were struck down and killed immediately. So you can imagine why verse 13 makes so much sense. No one dared join them. There was a healthy fear that was going through that community at the time. But look at what the next verse says. Verse 14 says, Nevertheless, more and more women and uh, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. So many people were being added to that community that they stopped keeping track. They stopped keeping track. Their numbers were growing, and they stopped keeping track. That's how awesome this whole thing was becoming. Not only did they grow in numbers, look at what happens in verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and lay them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow, that at least Peter's shadow might fall on them that as, he, as they passed by. Even Peter's shadow was revered with might and power. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits. And all of them were, church, healed. How powerful. How unstoppable. Sounds great, right? Well, not really. Not everyone was excited about these amazing things that were happening. Verse 17 goes on and says, The high priests and all the associates who were members of the, uh, of the part, uh, party of Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They were filled with jealousy. At least they were honest about it. At least they, they, uh, they, they could uh, attest that they were just being jealous. Instead of being filled with joy for people being healed, Instead of being filled with joy and rejoicing for people who were, who were delivered by evil spirits, they were filled with what, guys? Jealousy. Jealousy is so dangerous. It is such a, it is such a powerful tool in Satan's hand. It kills families. It destroys churches. It devastates communities and whole nations. And for the early Christians... Someone else's jealousy landed those poor, young, immature Christians in jail. These innocent men, whose only crime was preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and casting out demons, were put into jail. But verse 19 comes. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. So these poor, innocent apostles who were preaching, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, taking out uh, evil spirits, they got put in jail. But verse 19 comes. It is such a strong, jealousy is such a strong tool that divides peoples, it divides families, it crushes churches. But the hand of God is stronger. An angel of the Lord comes in the middle of the night and freeze those apostles. What were the guards doing? I don't know. We don't have any clue what happens uh, in, uh, to the guards. We just know that the doors of the jail were opened and the apostles were freed. If being freed by the angels wasn't crazy enough, if, if you know, and this is one of their first acts of persecution, this is the first act of persecution. If this weren't crazy enough, Look at, listen to what the angels told the apostles to do. 
Verse 20 says, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people the full message of the new life. Okay, church, translate that for me. <laughs> Verse 20, what is that? What is the angel telling these newly freed uh, apostles to do? Excuse me? Excuse me? Keep preaching? What's that? The gospel. Go ahead. What else? What strikes you about this? Peyton. Teach the Bible, right? Go back to the very same place that you got arrested at. Go to the very same spot. Go to the same corner and preach the gospel and preach it louder. Preach the full message this time. Don't hold back. Don't sugarcoat anything. Don't dilute the message. Go back. Go back. And what did they do? They obeyed. They were unstoppable. At at verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told, and they began to teach the people. And this next part is so cool. And this is how I know that God has a sense of humor. I love it because my whole, my whole, the way that I think is like an Austin Powers movie. And so, I mean, I love reading scripture because, yes, I said Austin Powers in church. And, and yes, um, it's great because I see God having such a great sense of humor, especially when it's with stuffy old men. And, and so, so God, God basically puts puts the same people who were in just who were in jail back in the in the in the temple courts and so while the apostles are back in the temple preaching and preaching the whole message the full message and the high priests what are they doing they're gathering they're gathering for the t- trial they're all they're all getting ready and looking really big and 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 and, and stuffy and they're they're getting ready for the big big trial Apparently, no one told them that the, the apostles had escaped. You've got to imagine that this is, there's this big congressional meeting. You know, on CNN, you know, you, you see these great CNN um, congressional meetings, you know, those Senate meetings. I mean, I always just kind of flip past them. But you can just imagine people thinking and listening, you know, when Judge Sotomayor was... Um, uh, was accepted or was tried, you know, you, you remember the, the intensity, the pomp, the circumstance. This is what I see happening. Everyone's gathering and being really important and looking big, and it's a big day. But someone forgot to tell them that we lost the prisoners. And so when the high priest and his associates arrived, they, they called the Sanhedrin together, the full assembly, everyone, the elders of Israel, and they sent to the jail for the apostles. Oops, looks like someone forgot to tell the high priest something. Verse 22, but on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported. We found the jail securely locked with guards. Um, We found the jail securely locked with guards standing at the door but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Basically, Mr. High Priest, we found, uh, Mr. High Priest, we have good news and we have bad news. 
The good news is, number one, we found the jail. and still where we, we built it. The jail was locked. <laughs> That's a good thing. And the guards were standing at the door doing their job. So good. We've got good news. OK, but the bad news. The prison was empty, and we cannot find the prisoners. You know it's going to be a long day for that poor man that had to deliver that news. You can't imagine the confusion and the frustration that probably broke out. I imagine these religious men in their little gowns with holy locks of hair cursing in Yiddish. The next scene is great. In my distorted mind, this is where Ashton Kuchner comes out, and he says, hey, guys, you've been punked. Look out there. Look out there. And you don't believe what, but look at it. It says that in verse 40, verse 25. It says, then someone came out and said, look, the man you put in jail, they're standing in the temple courts. Dude, look at, look at that. That's so funny. Don't you get it? I don't think they were laughing either, so that's good. But it's a preposterous scene. You've got all these big, important people. And you've got the apostles of God doing the work of the gospel, despite these important people. Verse 20, 26 goes on to say, that, that the captain went in with his officer and, and brought the apostles in. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. What a powerful thought. They did not use force. In the public, where people recognize the power and truth of the church, of this new church, the officials of the Sanhedrin were impotent. But when they got the apostles back into the comforts of the Sanhedrin walls, these cowards were all of a sudden powerful again. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. And look at their words. I can just imagine <laughs> just the anger, <laughs> just the anger of the high priest when he yells this out. Verse 28 says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. The high priest couldn't even bring themselves to, the, to say the name of Jesus. Even the name of Jesus is unstoppable. Look at that. It says, in this name. Everyone in the room knows who this name is. And that name is Jesus. They could only refer to him as this name. Unstoppable. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. For those of you who've been in church all your life, there's something about that verse that, that makes you think of something else. These, I wonder if these same men remembered what they cried out just several months ago when they demanded that Jesus Christ be crucified. I wonder if those same men remembered that they cried out something pretty hauntingly similar. You see, Scripture remembers what they cried out. Matthew 27 records what they cried out. 
All the people answered, let his blood be on us and our children. The very words that they screamed out months ago, the very curse that they called upon themselves, now they don't want to be a part of. Maybe that was going too far. (laughs) They didn't like the feeling of having Christ's blood upon them. How inconvenient. But it is here that Peter makes one of his boldest statements of faith. Peter and his other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you have killed. I love that. Whom you have killed. You hung him from a tree. I love Peter's boldness. He may have said some really foolish things in the Gospels. He may have been the biggest brute of all the apostles. He may have made me look really smart. But oh my goodness, he is so bold in what he's saying. He's looking dead in on these men who are mad. They are irate. They do not like these apostles. He's looking them straight in the face. And he's saying these very words. He is making up for all his foolishness with boldness and courage. He is unstoppable. And he goes on. God exalted him, Jesus, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Verse 33, when they heard this, they were furious. They were furious. The high priests were angry, and they wanted to put him to death. Peter definitely got their attention. Peter got their attention. But look, they wanted to kill Peter now. They wanted to kill all the apostles. They were infidels. They were heretics. But look what happens, and this is the best part. A Pharisee named Gamaliel a teacher of the law who was honored by the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Gamaliel was one of the most famous Jewish teachers of that time. In fact, he was probably the head of all the Jewish, uh, Jewish schools at the time. And we find out later on that Gamaliel was the very teacher that instructed Paul the greatest apostle of Jesus. So you've got a very wise man. I mean, you see this commotion. You see the high court just being so angry and frustrated. You see people not knowing what to do. And then you see Peter saying a very bold and rash thing. And then you see this wise and humble man stand up. A man that's respected because he's knowledgeable. A man that's respected because of his reputation. And a man that eventually taught Paul. He gets up and the first thing he does is he asks all the apostles to leave the room. He asks the apostles to leave the room, probably so that the high priest can save face. But then you wonder, who wrote verse 34? You wonder, and I have to wonder, that in the future, that maybe Gamaliel 
because of his connection with Paul, became a believer and was able to tell, tell Paul and the rest of the apostles what happened when they left the room. You just have to, I mean, it just put chills and, and goosebumps down my, my, my back to think that someone in that room became a believer and told the apostles what happened when they left. That someone, possibly even Paul, could have been in that room that very moment and heard Gamaliel's speech, which is profound. Gamaliel said, Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these people. Some time ago, Theodos appeared claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all of his followers were dispersed, and it came to nothing. And after him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census and led a band of people in revolt. He too was killed, and his followers were scattered. Basically, Gamaliel is saying, guys, guys, calm down. Guys, this is not the first time that we've had rioters. This is not the first time people have disagreed with us. This is not the first time that groups of people swelled up in revolt and protest. Remember Theodos with 400 people who followed him. Remember Judas and what happened to them. Those rebellions were crushed. This is what I suggest. And I wish I could do this with a good Yiddish accent, but I can't. It says, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purposes are activities of human origin, it will fail. But, verse 39, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. Amen. Gamaliel is saying, if it is not of God, it is sure to fail. Don't worry about it. But if it is of God, it is, my favorite word, unstoppable. Unstoppable. You are fighting God. You don't want to go there. Those are, with that prophetic word, the church survived its per first persecution. In verse 40, in his, his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Truth is, guys, the, the apostles didn't get off very easy. They weren't killed, but they didn't get off easy. If any of you have seen The Passion of Christ, you remember that a flogging was pretty serious. It's pretty significant. It's not a spanking. It is something big. It's torture. If you remember, a flogging in that time was 39 lashes to your back with a whip that had metal and glass shards at the very end. So when it came slapping on your naked back, those shards of metal, those shards of glass would dig into your skin and it would scrape off skin and muscle and ligaments from your back. 
it was not a spanking. <laughs> it was not a timeout. It was torture. 39 times. With every pass, with every piece of skin and muscle and tissue that was pulled off, those men, those innocent men's backs, the church grew. The church stood up. The church became the church. And after that cruel beating, they were ordered to not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they were let go. Despite this torture, despite the humiliation, despite the unfair treatment in the face of their innocence, look how the apostles left. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name, for that name. They rejoiced in suffering. They were proud to be Christ followers even in their persecution. And they kept going back. They kept going back. Day after day in the temple courts, again, where do they go? Where do they go? To the very place that got them in trouble the first time and the second time and that will continue to get them in trouble a third and a fourth and a lifetime. They went back to the temple courts and then from house to house and they, church, they teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They were unstoppable. It is the Holy Spirit that made the church unstoppable. It is the Holy Spirit that makes you unstoppable. Verse 39, but if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. As our faith is challenged, as we struggle with discouragement, as we struggle with sin, recognize the work of God in your life. That is unstoppable. Some of us are running from God. And if, you're running from a, if you are running from a force that doesn't stop, you're losing. Some of us are fighting God, but I'm telling you, you've picked the wrong God to fight. You will lose. There are, more, there are many forces trying to stop the work of the church. Just read the newspapers. Read, read um, the internet, uh, uh, news, news um, online. Whether it's evil men or even governments trying to suppress our faith, our God, our church, it doesn't matter. This is unstoppable. This is my challenge to you. I want you to consider memorizing verse 39. Pretty simple challenge. Verse 39. If it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men you'll only find yourself fighting against God. So I want you to memorize verse 39 this week. I want you to recite this verse every time you face discouragement, fatigue, when someone lets you down, when someone discourages you, or when you fall to the same sins that you have been struggling with for a long time. Whether it's the type of movies that you watch, whether it's personal habits, whether it's the type of thing you do with your, um, with your girlfriend or boyfriend, 
I want you to ask yourself, is this something that needs to stop? And have you aligned yourself with a God that's, un- uh, that's unstoppable? We are trying to be a church that's different, one that changes lives, one that stands strong in battle. We need to pray that we understand the full breadth of what that looks like. Church, we need men and women to stand up and to say, we are a part of an unstoppable force. Many of you are just coming to church, doing your thing, just like Ananias and Sapphira in the beginning of this chapter, looking good, looking like good Christian people, but leading a very deceptive life. I encourage you, I encourage you to come and speak to the pastors, come and speak to our wives, pray with us, and and understand that this is a bigger thing than just a Sunday routine. It's about a church that's unstoppable. Because with those floggings, with that persecution, that little band of Christ followers became bigger and bigger. And the church today is unstoppable. We need Christ followers like those apostles who will go despite everything in their bodies that's saying, no, that's a bad idea. We need men and women who think of what is good and what is truthful and what is just to live differently and to be a part of that unstoppable force. We need the church to be the church. Like I said, I I hope that today was just a really cool picture, just a beautiful picture of the bride of Christ. She's beautiful, but man alive, she's unstoppable and she is powerful and she, she can take you down. But we need to submit to that. My encouragement is, remember verse 39. If you are struggling with stoppable sins, stoppable struggles in your life, come alongside of us. Pray with us. Tiffany Shad will be praying with the woman in the back. Um, you can, uh, Tiffany and Sarah will be uh, available for the women. The, the pastors of the church will be available to the men after church. Come. Rejoice. Celebrate in an unstoppable force. Let me just pray. Father God, you are powerful. You are amazing. And thank you for that message of, of, of a church that does it right, that gets it together. And now, Lord, as we break for communion and, and um, David Montgomery leads us into that act of worship, I pray that you would prick the men and women in this room